Welcome back to a, another episode of the Free Willed and Fired Up podcast. This is now season two, episode four, or episode 19 for those keeping track. Now today on the show, we're going to talk about Romans 1, 18 through 32, and how it explains the direct connection between willfully not glorifying God and how this warrants God to remove his protections for us from the fullness of our sinful nature as punishment, which brings about unnatural attractions, desires, and other manner of sinful abomination, wretchedness, whose penalty is felt in the body here and now, and the eternal consequence to be felt later in hell, and how in spite of all this, fully knowing the children of wrath, who are not thankful to God, seek to corrupt as many others as they can to the same twisted lifestyles before sin can bring about its ultimate deadly end. So let's take a look at the passage of Scripture from Paul on behalf of God that will be the source, the root, of our understanding of this matter, which reveals that the unnatural and unclean lifestyles rampant in our society today are not common to just us today, and also how it brought about uh, by spiritual judgment from God and not merely a materialistic, humanistic rationalization of nature versus nurture. Se- now, sexual activists have found themselves disheartened by the scientific findings to justify sexual depravity as normal and uh, natural, unchangeable, fixed, and genetic that have all come back inconclusive, if not worse, Instead, pointing to a reason beyond mere biology, beyond mere psychology, and perhaps in connection to a transcendent God which asserts spiritual justifications for biological and psychological realities, not otherwise explained by material possibility. Now, the realization bringing forth consideration by the unsaved and Uh, the condemned for the saved, that perhaps we have a duty and responsibility to something beyond ourselves, to honor something singular, authoritative, objective, powerful, influential, higher than the material worlds and higher than ourselves with our deeds and lifestyles, and that the consequences of failing in that duty result in spiritual penalties that far exceed anything that we can currently fathom in terms of its relation and effect on our physical and psychological selves over time. And may the saved and unsaved alike listen in on fearful tremblings of God's wisdom and punishment of the wicked and abominable like some of us and how we are deserving by our own words and actions to any and all suffering, temporal and eternal, for the severity of offense and ruin of that which we choose to love over God and to glorify over God. So turn, choosers and doers of unnatural wretchedness. Your will still survives, and the Lord is still willing to accept your repentance and corrective, genuine faith in Him through Christ. So repent and persevere in your faith, those born again. Hold firm and retain God in your mind at all times, putting Christ first in all things, mind, heart, and body, so as to retain the grace afforded to you by His mercy and love, through Christ's death and resurrection, for your sake, for your betterment, in the now and future life to come. And so you can serve His purpose in being the defender of the innocent and the light upon the hill with which we lead those that are lost in the darkness back to their Lord and ours in patient long-suffering and righteousness, should they trust and make a leap of faith in God through your example and choose to turn from the seductive darkness of sin and toward the healing fires that sanctify our broken altars and uplift like Easter wings our souls upon the wings of God in holiness and being born again in Christ, led by the Spirit, and taken, hallelujah, to the eternal paradise of heaven. Now here is Romans 1, 18 through 32. Now for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen 
and being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, Forever in their women exchange, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteousness and the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I was looking back over this, and I realized just how controversial and yet necessary and topical this passage of Scripture is to our current world, society, and culture. We are obsessed with identity and sexuality these days, now, more than ever before, and our culture is all about delving into the variety of identities and sexualities that deviate from the traditional, normal conception of men and women and traditional, normal concepts of sexuality. Now, I'm trying to be gentle here for now, but do not mistake my position as a Christian. Tradition, quote-unquote, has nothing to do with why I or others of genuine faith think what we do about identity and sexuality. We firmly believe that the word of God is true and inerrant, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, regardless of tradition. It's not about tradition, it's about truth. And the source of that truth, we believe, is coming from the one true God, the only legitimate source and authority of this kind of truth, the creator, the omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful being who is there from the beginning, who established all from the beginning, and who clearly communicates the corruption of humanity in the world from his original intent through sin, which can only be redirected and corrected through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ until the appointed time when he returns to bring about the new heaven and earth, where there will be no sin, no sinner, only perfected bodies, people in holiness, righteousness forevermore. And as such, I hold fast strictly and unwaveringly to God's specific limited design and purpose for men and women, how we are to properly identify and how we are to view sexuality, that which is a moral and godly version from that which is a corrupted, sinful, fleshly, worldly version. Now, in continuing this thought on identity and sexuality, much has been said over the past several decades trying to solve the mystery of what it is to be a man or a woman and where our identity comes from and whether or not certain sexual acts are quote-unquote natural from a materialistic perspective. And scientists have conducted countless studies trying to understand the link between our biology and our psychology with respect to nature versus nurture. Are men in general biologically designed and purposed to behave and identify in certain ways that are different but complementary to how women in general are biologically designed and purposed to behave and identify? Are some people born homosexual from birth? Are our standards of what is natural based on dogma or based on common or observed shared functions with other created things such as animals? And their findings have been very disappointing for those who go against what the Word of God claims about men, women, identity, and sexuality, but have been slightly more vindicating, albeit with plenty of unanswered and uh, unexplored gaps, for those who agree with and defend the truth and inerrancy of the Bible, 
as the creator and knower of all things, revealing to us the truth, natural, correct way uh, that things are supposed to identify, behave, and work from that which is false, unnatural, and incorrect. Now, after countless studies, scientists don't have a clue as to what really causes sexual deviance. All they know is they can't find a gene for it, but that there must be some biological or environmental influence somewhere, though it is unclear and unproven with any legitimate authority. As for what makes someone uh, male and female and, and what the definitive differences are that objectively makes one a man or a woman, both in physiology and psychology, there is an intricately related influence of biology onto psychology, that the biological self and the psychological self are not uh, normally split, but are in accord and agreement with each other, unless otherwise disturbed by one's social environment. Now, those who seek to live apart from God tend to thrive and celebrate while the science is still in its beginning speculative stages, but those who seek to live in accordance to God tend to thrive and celebrate when the science has concluded, uh, depending on the subject, or has weeded out irrational, unreasonable, unlikely hypotheses or premature assumptions. Now, as such, invariably, the natural world has a funny way of confirming God, his nature, his design, and purpose for creation, his objective truth, and his objective morality. It just takes a little more time for unbelievers to discover it. Meanwhile, for believers, no one is particularly surprised when inquisitive minds finally come around to what God has declared all along or close enough to it. As such, I think it may be worth our time to see how the Word of God says he relates to our identities and sexual behavior in our fallen state. So cue Romans 1, 8-32, as we just spoke about. Now here's the general outline of the train of thought, or the train of cause and effect, established by the Bible regarding man's departing from God and embracing of sinful abominations and deviancy that God was protecting them from, that their sinful flesh can't help but be drawn to. So God reveals himself to all in various ways since the beginning. All right, that's, the, that's how it all starts. Now man, swayed by a sinful nature, freely chooses to refuse to conform to God's will and purpose through faith, and instead they choose to live and judge by their own self-will, their own subjective truth and relative morals, resulting in all becoming humanistic, materialistic, worldly, and carnal in their view of what it is to be human, and that man's evil or goodness is determined by nothing more than what man can decide or observe for themselves, and that there isn't a need to concern oneself with one's relationship with God, but rather with oneself and other humans, and also degrading to viewing what it is to be human and what is acceptable for humans by looking to the other created creatures, the animals, not made in the image of God, which is used to encourage man to identify with beasts rather than God, and to therefore become more beast-like than human, and unique in relationship to God, and in moral responsibility for one's actions, attractions, beliefs, and lifestyles. Now, in response to this, as punishment for our rejecting the truth of our need for God and His mercy and power in keeping us safe from ourselves and the devil, so long as we are in Him, God, in sadness and equal burning uh, wrath, removes His protective, restraining hands that were previously holding back the floodgates of true abomination and wretchedness in their mind, body, and heart that gave way to the corrupted flesh to let loose a series of disgusting and destructive actions, attractions, and lifestyles, fitting of someone bent justly for hell in their rebellion against what is natural and good, just, and holy. Unless by more conviction, effort, and suffering than ever before, we should put to death our flesh and lifestyles, wrench them from our very flesh, and being a prostrate, the feeble, pathetic, and disgusting grace remains in faith in Christ to let the old self die with Christ and to let the new self rise with a new spirit, no longer removed from God's protection and able to see clearly the horror and atrocity our old attractions and lifestyles truly were against ourselves, against others, and most importantly, against God. And of all these debased, destructive, disgusting, abominable things that we do when we reject God and turn uh, to ourselves and the beasts for what is just and good, homosexuality is given the most detail and the most space, and 
expressly mentions the penalty. Like the rotting away, the viral swarm from inside and, and out of the flesh and of the organs and of those who live for evil and use uh, their body unnaturally without any limits to perversion and danger. But this sexual immorality, though more serious as evidenced by its attention in Romans 1, is not alone, but is rather accompanied by an army of sin. Homosexuality is an unnatural act consummated in an immoral way, while all other manner of sexual sin is in accordance perhaps with the natural function, but is consummated in an immoral way. Sin all, judgment all. Whether in violation by a mile or a world, no excuse and no justification for those who reject Jesus Christ and do not repent and strive to live holy each, whether homosexual or heterosexual sin, giving way to and aiding in the destructiveness of the other and even to those sins not of a sexual nature but of all other manner of offense to God and order until sin reaches its final destination with joyous triumph the corruption of what once was holy, the successful death of the image of God, and the plan of the virus's originator, the devil, saw through to the rebellious and easily avoidable end, the homosexual first, and the sexually immoral heterosexual alike, all pay the price for their level of foolishness, all drunk on the very poison that kills them, all pitiful, all hateful of those who recoil at the grotesqueness of the mutilated body and purpose, and the pitiers who would rather those fallen image bearers use what little is left of their will to repent and be saved. And in their hatred of God and his people, and in their love of evil, the wrath of God upon them is justified, and the eternal punishment to come is also justified. For someone who failed to see the true level of severity of their sinful ways and the misuse of their bodies. And that even in their decaying wretchedness, the accursed God despising children of wrath Pain, apparent, and destruction imminent continue to spiral in their unrepentant evil, not satisfied with their own corruption, soon turn to aiding the corruption of others to be in their same abominable image. Now, as God oversees the regeneration of his people, the devil oversees the further corruptedness of his people. Now, where the devil cannot create, he shall corrupt and destroy in mockery. In their sinful states, the virus plaguing their hearts and minds compels them to do the work of their unholy father and corrupt their fellow creation made in the true father's image, evangelizing for the devil, convincing others, both old and young, to freely choose to deny God, to forget about God, to rebel against God, to appease their flesh and ignorance, resulting in God removing his protective hands and giving them also up to a further debased mind, prepared to accept in them the earthly penalty of corrupted organs and flesh, and later the ultimate penalty of wrathful, just judgment and sentencing to an eternity in hell, along with their fellow demons and false father in the lake of fire. The devil laughing and mocking, knowing that while he was to face eternal destruction and suffering, that he was able to drag down many of those who should have been God's children down with him. And in freely choosing to do the work of the devil, to even go as far as to corrupt the minds, hearts, and bodies of little children, younger and younger by the year, to accept this abomination and to subject them to ungodly pressure to destroy their bodies, twisting their minds as they come to the age of accountability, where they've already been indoctrinated to hate, suspect, think is bigoted, the loving protection of godly people, to turn them from such disgusting practices, while the responsibility of choices ultimately still rests upon the individual child. God has made it clear that any and all who choose to persuade and encourage these little ones to do ungodly things and to abuse their bodies and confuse them to reject their natural function, to them, their judgment, suffering, and torture will be worse in hell. The fire will burn hotter, the smoke will rise higher, their screams will ring louder, their worms will be multiplied, their gnashing will be enough to shatter their teeth and rip asunder the mouth that corrupted the innocent with such glee and carelessness. In that eternity of righteous judgment and condemnation, they will truly know the severity of their offense, and all will know truly and unquestionably of God's fearsome wrath and power upon the wicked. And worse yet, 
These wretched beasts, young and old, will learn of the foolishness of pridefully declaring on earth through speech and action that I already know I'm going to hell, so what, and so will you. And in that eternal day of endless suffering beyond all human imagination, they will truly know the answer to their foolish question of so what. And many they feel, may they feel the full force of anguish that their self-delusion and prideful encouragement of the likewise wickedness in the minds and hearts of others be felt without end, lest they let go of their sinful lifestyles, repent of all their evil ways, cling desperately to Christ in genuine faith and service to pay the price of their iniquity and to be justified and kept from the just fire reserved for all in sin save those who put their full faith, mind, body, and heart in and on Christ and the grace which only He can give, and that only we who freely choose to accept it and persevere in it can abide in. Absent the grace of God, corruption breeds forth only more corruption. Destruction breeds forth only more destruction. Immorality breeds forth only more immorality, and damnation breeds forth only more damnation. Three times, three times over, God repeatedly uh, said the same message. Three times, he made clear exactly how these sinful lifestyles come about in us. The undeniability of the clear and evident message and understanding of how our freely chosen decisions to deny God early on leads to God removing his protection from us and our worsened sinful state, bringing forth all manner of immorality, disorder, unnatural desires of the flesh, and the encouragement of the same destructive sinful acts in all those around us, all the while knowing and yet careless in the face of the eternal condemnation and punishment to come for it. For those who downplay the seriousness and truthfulness of this message from the Apostle Paul who speaks with authority of the nature of our freely chosen wickedness, the displeasure and wrath of God and the removal of His gracious protection and the condemnation to come, for such crimes knowingly committed and promoted to others in rebellion to him, consider in fearful trembling these words from Paul as to the authority with which he speaks. From 1 Thessalonians 2.13 When you received the word of which God, of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. To deny these words from Paul, which really are the words of God, is to deny the truthful and accurate account as merely the opinions of a man. But worse still, it is to deny the authority, wisdom, and kingship of God above yourself and your selfish desires. The very thing, according to Romans 1, 18-32, that causes you to fall further from God and to fall prey to your own awaiting sin lurking in the tall brush of your heart. Like the devil, your corrupt flesh roams around the city of your mind and heart like a hungry lion searching desperately for you to be so foolish as to leave the safe haven of the Lord and to venture out from the stronghold alone and unawares, drunk on pride and ignorance and ended by a sudden pride of sin-stained teeth that snap out and tear asunder your life and eternity with God in heaven because of one's own foolish and freely chosen will that damns apart from the only one who saves. Now when a sinner hears a Christian state things like Romans 1, 18 through 32, in an affirmative way, they tend to berate the person as a sexist, homophobic, xenophobic bigot. Meanwhile, to the shock and humor of the genuine Christian, these sinners have little clue that it is not the human person that they have charged with committing these awful crimes of immorality and bigotry, but rather God, the ultimate standard of goodness, justice, morality, truth, and love. To state it more clearly, any sinner who dares to chastise the word of God commits the unimaginable error of chastening God's very nature and his very self. They, in their extreme ignorance and rebellion, are accusing him, the great I Am, the King of kings, Lord of all, the Almighty, Creator of all things, Savior of the world, of being a sexist, homophobic, xenophobic bigot. To this fact of the matter, I'll offer just one more word on the matter. I, nor any other genuine Christian, do not fear the perpetrators of sexual immorality. Instead, we fear for 
those who commit them, and lead lifestyles wholly devoted to them because we have it on good authority, the highest authority, that they will suffer greatly in this world, and then eternally worse than they can even possibly imagine in the world to come for their offense against their Creator. Now, for God is not just a God of mercy for the sake of all, but also a God of wrath for those who live rebelliously like Satan, abuse his grace, mock his natural order, curse his people, and choose sin over righteousness and holiness. So to be clear, the only fear I have for any sinner is fear for them, not of them. I think Christians could be better at clarifying that point since so many on the side of Satan twist, mischaracterize, and slander God, Christians, and Christianity endlessly, ceaselessly, defending the stronghold of wretchedness and deception that they've anchored in the hearts and minds of the lost and rebellious. To my fellow Christians, don't be dismayed when the world accuses you of sin and immorality according to its standard. Goodness in the world's eyes is wretchedness before God. I don't live to appease the world. I live to appease God. I don't strive to be as the world tells me to be. I live to be as God tells me to be. Being true to God means offending and paining the children of wrath in this world. Then let me offend and let me pain with my righteousness, afforded to me by Christ a million times over with every breath and with every action of righteousness. Pain can be a necessary teacher for those who are too prideful to humble themselves to peace. Where I can establish and operate in peace, I will for the sake of the Great Commission. Where I cannot establish and operate in peace, there will be no peace. Bring your guns, bring your rioters, bring your media, if you must, and if you will not listen to the calls of peace, bring all your worldly weapons and tactics against me and against my commission, and I'll bring God. Till that day comes when sin finally does me in, I'll be working out my part in the fulfillment of the Great Commission, standing tall, taking the abuse, winning over those whom the Lord gives me in His name as the offended march me to an all-too-familiar cross, with an all-too-familiar end. And in that all-too-familiar end, may the grace of Christ through faith sustain me, so that like my all-too-familiar Savior, I can rise again. And will you do the same? Will you? I hope so. So in your daily walk with Christ, I want you, especially if you are someone who is dismayed by the way our culture is today and the things that it's trying to push upon our children, Uh, both through school and also through media, I want you to consider Romans 1, 18 through 32. Consider what I had to say about it as well, but certainly go to Romans 1, 18 through 32 and read over it for yourself. Read over it a good few times, and you'll start to see exactly where all the problems in this society have come from. You know, people think that here in America, that when we stop looking to God as a country and as a people, they thought that that there wouldn't be any consequence for it. Right? They thought that God would just leave us be with the blessings that he gave us and that there wouldn't be any removal of anything. Well, just as individually God removes his protective hand, so too, I think, uh, Does God remove his protective hand over a nation, over a country that is also turned from him? We used to hold God at the forefront of this country, of our laws, of of everything that we did. It was based on his commandments. It was based on the Christian standard of morality. And yet, we have turned from it wholly and completely. There are some vestigial parts hanging on, but by and large, our government doesn't respect it at all. By and large, our institutions do not respect God at all. By and large, our media doesn't respect God at all. None are paying their due uh, worship to God, their due attention to God. They're due loyalty to God. None. And it's even reaching, of course, all the way down to the individuals because it starts with the individual and it ends with the individual. Society is made up of individuals. 
And then likewise, society helps shape those individuals in a never-ending cycle. And of course, things were different when both the individual and society were striving to be in accordance with God. God was that integral piece that would bring us all, individuals and society, right, in in communion together up in Him to where that never-ending cycle was a never-ending improvement, a never-ending closeness with God, right, a never-ending growing in true godliness and holiness and righteousness. And yet, along the way, the individuals and society decided that it just couldn't be bothered with giving that same respect from the past to God, right, as it did before. It's figured, I guess, it, it was comfortable where it was at and didn't want to work anymore, got lazy in its spirituality. And in that laziness of one's spirituality, well, there are consequences from God. And we are currently living in a consequence from God, where God has removed his protective hand from this country, and he has removed his protective hand from us who have not given him the glory as we should, the respect as we should, the authority uh, that we should. And of course, God has made it clear throughout the Bible as well how we can return, restore, uh, be in right accordance with him again, and in that right accordance be blessed again by him, and that is to return to him question is, is as a nation, as a country, can we truly return to him? Or are we now doomed? Are we now destined as a nation to meet the full effect of our sinful and wretched turning away from God? Are we going to meet that destruction that comes after we finish corroding away and poisoning the minds and hearts of our youngest ones? You know, what are we destined for? What do we want as a country? How are we going to get back in right accordance with God if, if that is what we as a country still want and as a nation want? Are we going to continue in sinfulness apart from God? Is that what we want? Or are we a nation of people who want to return back to right accord with God? I think that right now we're in, we're in a national crisis of identity. And in that crisis of identity and allegiance, I think that's what's leading to all other forms of crises that we're dealing with. All this confusion with identity, all this confusion with sexuality, this confusion uh, that is destroying families, that is corrupting institutions, that is being promulgated by godless people in high places of authority who should not be there and yet are there. And why are they there? Because God removed his protective hand from us. Much like before in the Old Testament in the Bible when people said that they didn't want to have God as the head of their, of their kingdom anymore, that they wanted to elect their own. God removed his protective hand. He let them. He let them do it, and he told them, hey, don't come to him when things go south. Don't go to him when things start breaking down. Don't go to him when your institutions start to crumble. Don't go to him, not unless they're willing to completely change their government till they are completely willing to change who they are as people and where their heart is, not only as a nation, but as individuals. If they're going to be led by him, God, then he will lead them. If they want to be led by themselves, then he'll let them lead themselves right down to their own destruction. Okay, because Romans 1, 18 through 32, there really is so much, I think, that gives you an idea and clarity upon all the confusion, all the suffering, all of the, all of just the madness that is going on in our culture today, really, I think Romans, more than several others, might be one of the most 
important uh, parts of the Bible that, that Christians should be reading today just because it is so spot on. And of course, the Bible does tell us that there's nothing original under the sun. And you know, certainly this passage here in Romans tells us that absolutely, it confirms that absolutely. And so what should we do as Christians? Do we say, oh, we have no clue how to, how to fix this? You know, we, we can see that there's a problem. We can see that things are breaking down. We can see that madness is spreading everywhere. But what do we do? What can we do? Well, it's not so much about what you can do. You know, what, what you're responsible for is using your free will to choose God, to turn to God. And if you can't turn to God as a nation first... Well, then you better turn to God and choose God as people first, as an individual first. And then, of course, uh, government will change. All right? if, if we can change and redirect ourselves to God, then our politics invariably will uh, change and become more reverent of God. That's simply the way it is. If, if your laws will not direct people back to God, then that means the people are going to have to make the hard choice and direct themselves back to God and then see to it that their laws direct their nation back to God. The only way to get back to God, the only way to get back to a healthy, thriving, moral society and just society is to re-include God, right? the necessity of God, both on an individual level and a national level. Now, does this mean we have to turn the United States into a theocracy of sorts? No, no. And even our founding fathers, they made it clear they didn't want a theocracy because there's too much danger in, in a worldly theocracy run by man. But they at least understood that you could still have a Christian nation even without a theocracy, wherein you could still have a nation whose laws... Uh, were based upon Christian ethics and morality and whose institutions still held with high regard those Christian ethics and morality. Sure, ushered in as tradition, but still there and still believed in. You know, people weren't including right, the Bible and, and reverence to God and all these institutions in our media and even in our politics and even in our courtrooms, they weren't including God in those things merely out of tradition. They, they genuinely believed it. And I know it brings up reminding that the Bible certainly warns us against um, buying too much into tradition. You know, buying too much into um, just doing things simply because we've always done them that way. No, we need to make sure that, that in our faith, with everything that we do on all levels, individual and national, that that we're doing it for the right reasons, that we're motivated for the right reasons. Traditions can be good, but only if the root is good, only if they're rooted in God. You know, then, of course, uphold those traditions. And so I think we, as a country, we've thrown away a lot of those traditions. And I say we, but really it's God, who has removed his protective hand, that then you know, led to our minds becoming so debased by our own corrupted will that then led us to throw away the traditions of God. And, and so here we are now at an anti-Christian sort of nation uh, where we are pumping out more and more individuals that uh, are not in reverence to God and who have all of these problems that we like to think are, you know, just, just materialistic problems, you know, just, uh, just problems with the mind, you know, problems with the body, and yet we have completely cut out the consideration that a lot of the problems that we're having, they're not merely of the body or the mind, but they're also of the spirit, that there is a, a corruption in our spirit, that there is a spiritual aspect to what is going on here. And of course, you know, scientists don't like hearing that because you can't really test that per se, not in the materialistic sense. You can observe it, sure. 
you can connect the dots that Romans 1, you know, 18 through 32 lays out for you. You can follow that and you can see, okay. And is it falsifiable? I mean, I'd say it's falsifiable using the scientific uh, method when observing, you know, whether or not Romans 1, 18 through 32 is actually a plausible theory as to where we've come to as a, as a people and as a nation. You know, I, I don't think that there is any conflict here between religion and science on these things. And I think that where science is in terms of trying to understand, you know, why we do the things we do and where things come from, you know, where, where these deviances come from in our behavior and in our identities and, and so forth, I think that... There's a great deal of pride going on in the scientific community and, you know, in certain spots, humility and in those spots of humility where there isn't a more materialistic bias to try to explain things, uh, where they actually leave things open as it is open. They only let, they let the evidence stop where the evidence stops and they admit where, you know, observing things materialistically only gets you so far and can only get them so far, and they don't want to make up, you know, further explanations, you know, where, where the science stops, the science stops for them, and, and so then us as religious people, us as Christians, you know, we need to, we need to recognize that, where the science stops, because where, where the materialistic science stops, that's where the necessity for, you know, the immaterial, that's where the necessity for, the supernatural, the spiritual needs to come in to fill in the rest, needs to fulfill the rest. Because when you're looking at humanity and what we do from a purely materialistic lens, you're, you're willfully blinding yourself, making yourself ignorant of those other aspects of humanity. And there is a spiritual aspect of humanity, absolutely. And there is a spiritual aspect, not just of humanity, but of the world. And that spiritual aspect of humanity in the world compels us to think, compels us to question, where did that spiritual aspect come from? Where did that immaterial aspect come from? You know, and of course, that should lead us back to God, and not just any God, but as, as Romans 1 all right, told us, that God makes himself evident. In both within ourselves and God makes himself evident in the natural world around us and not just some generic general God. No, it's said in Romans 1, 18 through 32, it's said that God reveals himself all the way down to the Godhead as being revealed within ourselves and in nature and in the natural world, the physical world around us. And so then we as a people, again, we need to have a healthy appreciation for science and religion and understand that you can embrace science only as far as science can allow you to go. But then we should recognize that we need to then rely on God. We need to rely on the word of God, right? the objective truth, the objective morality of God. Because quite frankly... Science without God doesn't lead to a, a proper, healthy society. It just doesn't. Meanwhile, societies have been fine in the past where they had more God and less science. I, I don't want necessarily that. I, I want you know, there to be a good, healthy mixture of science with obviously more God there leading the way as the head. I think that God has brought about many things uh, in science that helps Christians, that helps those who want to believe to believe and to live healthier lives, longer lives uh, in devotion to God. But we have to recognize as believers, first and foremost, what is the highest authority with which we should look at society in ourselves, in our country? Is it, is it through the eyes of God, by the morality of God, or is it through the eyes of 
you know, scientists and politicians and so forth. I look at it first and foremost through the eyes of God, by the judgment of God, by the word of God. And from that basis, then I will accept in scientific and political and, you know, all these different things that can then fill out, that can help bridge the gaps between God and me to help me better understand God and how God operates and how God's creation works and how we can be in right accord with God, first and foremost, of course, through faith, but how we can then not only have our own lives better reflect God, but also how our nation can better reflect God by utilizing means of science and politics and so on. And I think that this reluctance in the religious community to utilize science and to utilize politics as a means of getting closer to God and helping people to live more godly, I think that has caused nearly irreparable damage in the culture, uh, in, in people's hearts and minds. And so again, how do we try to reverse what has happened to individuals and what has happened to our country? And again, with Romans 1, 18 through 32, if you want to try to change that, you have to change it by, you know, if you can't do it first and foremost through at a country level, at a national level, well, then you got to do it at the individual level, okay? Because individuals are the start and end of what society brings about. And so we need to get back to a place where it's not just individuals and society. Without God, we need to return to a place where God is involved in that, in every aspect of that, so that we can go back, so that we can turn from our fallenness in our country today. And not just as a country, but as individuals, right, where people's minds can be right again, where people's hearts can be right again, where their attractions can be right again, so they can be more assured in their identities again. And I don't mean assured in the fallen sense that people think that they are assured of who they are, which is mainly just confusion, abomination. No, I mean assurance in the only way that we can truly be assured of anything, and that is especially about ourselves and what, who, who, what we are as human beings. The only assurance that can truly come from that is from God is from the Word of God. And so that would be my plea from here with Romans 1, 18 through 32, is that we take what God says is what causes all of these things that are plaguing us in our own individual lives and certainly plaguing our country right now. Look and see what caused it. Look and see what caused it. See how many of these we check off. All right, this box of, of these sins and these abominations that us turning our backs on God are right, causes. And let this bring us back to a proper respect and honor to God so that his protective hands may return to us to shield us, to keep us from the sin which our own fallenness tries to compel us to. Not only for our sake, but for the sake of future generations for the sake of this whole country because if we can't do that then forget it might as well just start over again somewhere else and again i want to remind you of what andrew clavin you know another pretty popular podcaster said because he even repeated it again in one of his recent podcasts the idea that his mindset has kind of shifted where once before you know, he he used to have the mindset of, you know, God bless America, but now he's of the mindset, you know, more and more that where he's saying, you know, God, don't forget the faithful in, in the day of your wrath. Where he seems to have lost a little bit of faith in in this country, in, in this nation, in this people, as it is right now, as it is right now, where there's nothing really left in America for God to bless. All there is is abomination and wretchedness and sin and evil. God isn't going to bless that. God's going to judge that. And so I'm in agreement with, 
with Andrew Clavin on this, God, don't don't forget the faithful in the day of your wrath, in the day of your judgment when destruction comes upon this place. But I think, you know, for myself, as I stated in a previous podcast, and I think I can speak on behalf of Andrew Clavin here, where we have this outlook based on how things are right now, based on where things are going right now without God. But obviously, if this nation were to turn back to God, well then, I think we could finally return back to a time where we can say, God bless America. And actually mean it. And actually have that mean something, be rooted in something. Otherwise, what are we even doing? Because quite frankly, you take God out of America and there is no America. Not as it used to be. Not, not in its greatness all right, that it was. In its principles and morality and ethics, that is. Of course, there were mistakes that still had to be weeded out from the past that you know, were brought in via tradition. That, of course, the word of God condemned and was condemning. I want to return to a, to a nation that has proper respect for God, that gives reverence to God, that gives honor and glory due to God. I want a nation that has God's protective hands over it. And a nation of people, individuals, uh, who, have got, who has God's protective hands over them. That's what I want. I know I'm not going to get anywhere near heaven, but I think we can certainly do a lot better than where we are now. I think we can get closer than where we are now, and not of ourselves, but of God. So return to God. All right, so that about wraps up another episode of the Free Wild and Fired Up podcast. Thank you again for listening. Hopefully you found something encouraging in today's episode and Hopefully you're giving, uh, you're given the will to continue to draw closer to God and to be better trained up in the ways of the Lord. Like, comment, and share this podcast so that we can grow as a community and so more people can hopefully be encouraged and equipped in their minds, hearts, and souls as you were from it today. Now let folks know that they can tune in to these episodes on most major podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you haven't listened to the previous podcasts, I highly recommend you do so. And for those who uh, have, there's still plenty more to come from Free Wild and Fired Up. So stay tuned. See you next time. And don't be late for church.